right. Well, Rob, very nice to meet you. Glad to be able to speak with you, interview you, and go through some of the most recent uh, events that have been going on in your life. How are you feeling today? What's going on? Um, I'm 8.8 out of 10. <laughs> so uh, you are my third interview today. Nice. Um, I've just finished one of my books, Money Matrix, and I've got some people um, read proofreading it for me. Nice. I've just been sitting down with. Life's pretty nice. good. Yeah. You know, life's what you make it. Yes, it is. You're very much in that perspective of, as I've watched through so many of your different videos and such, you're always, and it's great to be like that in the perspective of, even if something bad happens, the interview doesn't go how you'd like it to, you're very much coming from the perspective of, I'm going to make the best of it no matter what. And even if it's bad, there's something good I can use in my business or for views or for something to make it work out anyways. Yeah, so there's something called the dual use paradox, mm -hmm. which is the two-sided paradox of the use of something. So if you think about AI, the upside of AI is obviously speed, um, power. Uh, mm -hmm. If you think about AI in health, it could be our own doctor that could diagnose right. and 3D print, you know, some kind of solution in the form of a pill or a, mm -hmm. a cast. But AI can also execute a kill order against another right. human, or, or it could if we allow it. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe all life has dual use paradox, which means every downside has an upside, every upside has a downside. So, for example, um, some of my hardest, most difficult, most obtuse, combative guests have mm -hmm. also been the best for... Um, virality or, um, right. you know, when people say, I had a guy interviewing me today and he was talking about the Jake Paul episode. And he's like, why mm -hmm. wasn't the guy, the guy was being a twat. Why wasn't he just a decent <laughs> guy? And I said, well, if he was a decent guy, you wouldn't be talking about that one of my thousand episodes. Right, talking right. about all the decent guys. Yep, so yep. I try and take that attitude into life. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, in every stressing hides a blessing. And I, I think if you have that mentality, mm -hmm. then you make the most out of life. Right. No, I, I agree for sure. And speaking of interviews that were kind of like that, we just talked with Harry about the Dodge interview. And he kind of pressed you a few different times. It, do you, because some people enjoy it. Do you enjoy the pressure? Do you like the fight? Or would you rather just have a very melancholy, kind of more chill uh, interview usually? Um. I mean, look, I'm open. I see it as my job to serve the interviewer and answer their questions. Um, so I'll go with the flow. Mm -hmm. The more spice and heat and <laughs> ding dong and ping pong there is, the more likely it is to get good views. Because, you know, that, that race to 100,000 in a matter of, you know, hour stroke days. Right. Whereas maybe some of my what might be deemed to be a little bit more balanced or intellectual interviews mm -hmm. might have had one tenth of the views. Right, um, right. And Dodge, Dodge is a friend. So, you know, he's developing his own style as an interviewer and, mm -hmm. you know, he's doing quite well. I am, um, you know, I felt like at times he didn't let me answer his question because he interrupted Fully. me to ask another one and interrupted me to ask another one. But it's his show, and 
I did my best to answer them all. And it was interesting because many entrepreneurs messaged me loving the content. Right. But quite, if you look at that video, there's quite a lot of criticism for me in that video. I, I saw those, yeah, both sides' criticisms. People are like, oh, I, I haven't heard of this guy, but I wasn't sure how I liked his answers. But, yeah, it was a definite – he cut you short sometimes, and you were trying to give your best answer. It was a, a mix and match. But, I mean, it, overall, I thought it was well. I thought it was great. Yeah, well, you know, if you think about what content he does now, and if you look at the sort of – you know, the ex-drug dealers and the criminals and all that. I'm not sure that's my target demographic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's not exactly spot on, I would say. No, and I can't (laughs) imagine they're going to go and buy my courses and, you know, listen to Hey, maybe they'll hustle better. They're going to hustle better once they go through your content. Yeah, well, actually, (laughs) they could learn a fair bit from me, but obviously they weren't, some of them weren't prepared to. So I just accept that. That's fine. But it, it got me out to a new audience. And look, you, the critters, the critics, the trolls, the haters, and the wankers—they're all great <laughs> for virality. There's plenty right. of people who sit on the fence and don't leave a comment, and you don't know that they follow you or they exist. I have no problem with it. I really enjoy it. As far as I'm concerned, everyone's entitled to an opinion about me, right. and just because I don't agree with it, and if they want to say it in an obnoxious way, that's just representative mm-hmm. of where they are. But right. I'd rather have a load of criticism than no comments at all. Uh, you know, a hundred wankers is better than no comments. <laughs> it, it means you've got to have some, if your message isn't polarizing in some way or another, you don't really have a strong message. And I think to be an entrepreneur and to be in business, you have to have a strong message of some kind. It's like why Grant Cardone gets so much hate. He gets also a lot of love and he gets very, very polarizing figure. And I wanted to talk about and actually compliment you kind of on this topic because I, I think truly, um, I think I'm a decent person that seeing who's transparent in themselves in how they speak in their mannerisms you are one of the both when you get interviewed and when you interview other people you seem very true yourself very honest very transparent just yourself like you truly are yourself is that something that's you've learned as you've kind of crafted your personality over the years or is that just kind of just who you are yeah um thank you for acknowledging that i think It's taken me a while to get to that space. Mm-hmm. Like as I sit here now in my mid-40s, you know, I, I do feel quite confident in what I've done in the last 17 years, mm-hmm. you know, in property and business. I feel like I obviously want to achieve more, John, don't get me right. wrong, but I don't feel like I have anything more to prove. I feel right. like I can be authentic, i.e. speak as I mm-hmm. speak privately. And I'm okay with being ridiculed for being myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, weirdly, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I probably had quite a lot of authenticity. Mm -hmm. The problem was I was quite obnoxious and closed-minded and and jealous, and I always thought I was right. Mm -hmm. So So it was weird because, you know, ignorance in some ways was bliss back then. Right. Because... You know, I wasn't second guessing and worried about what, impe- you know, what to say or worried about upsetting anyone. Right. But I was also quite ignorant. Mm-hmm. And then I went on this big journey of personal development and got a therapist and learned from all the big gurus in America and sort of unpicked my personality and realized that was, you know, that, that, that ignorance from me was a protective mm-hmm. mechanism. And I had right. to peel that away and then find out 
what was beneath that, what that was protecting, right. why I felt the need to protect those parts about myself. Mm -hmm. And then th through the main vehicle of business and entrepreneurship, start to then think about who I want to be, what traits I right. want to portray, you know, what I'm comfortable with showing of myself. Right. So it was like a, a breaking down and a rebuilding up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I love about business is it's real-time feedback. Yeah. You know, if I do something smart and I make money, I've got real-time feedback in the, the form of profit and I'm going to do more of it. If I do something mm -hmm. or say something stupid and I lose You'll money... You'll find out real quick. <laughs> yeah, you do find out very quickly. And so it, it's, a, it, it's, gr it's a great mirror that reflects back to you your behaviors. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to the dual-use paradox... You know, any behavior or character trait that you exhibit has equal upsides and downsides. Right. If you're a people pleaser, that can be good for getting on with people, but you can become a repress repressor. And if you please everyone yeah. else, you repress your own expression. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just tried to become aware of the dual paradox uh, and then aware of how I'm acting in the moment and making sure I'm not over-exaggerating or minimizing right. my true self. Yeah, and you do you do an excellent job of that, and that's why I think I noticed and I saw on you is you, you've learned to communicate how you feel and how you work with yourself out very very well, which is nice to see because it makes pleasant good conversation a lot of the times. Now you mentioned your book, along with your book, and maybe you want to get more into that. What else have you been thinking for the disruptors for your businesses for your training? You have your training company, your real estate. Is there another big move? And does it go along with the book? What's the next big move for Rob Moore and kind of your community you've built over the last, like you said, 17 years or how long? It's been a long time now. Yeah. Um, I mean, writing my 19th and now my 20th book. Nice. You know, you, you could say that's a big move or you could say that's just mm -hmm. an evolution of what I've been doing for 17 years. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished just not long ago, a charity boxing match, and we raised nearly a quarter of a million pounds. I'm on to my next challenge now, so I just like to challenge myself, move on. Mm -hmm. um, my, I'm hoping to get my training business to 25 million sterling, which is what, nice. $30 million this year. We're a bit behind for that, but we're well ahead of last year. Um, yeah, so... You're making moves. You're making moves. You're doing. Yeah, I'm I have always, a, I have looking, a, always looking to progress with, you know, interviewing really interesting people. I think we've got mm -hmm. Will. I am David. I nice, Andrew nice. Tate. Um, we've got some nice. big guests. Patrick, but David. Who else have we got? Harry. I love um, Patrick. Patty Pimler, who's big in martial mm -hmm. arts. So yeah, I mean that's a constant movement by the way they're they're not all actually whilst they're agreed they're not date booked in so right you know watch this space for those nice um trying to help as many people as possible i mean i i, I do a lot more money related content now and mm -hmm. i'd like to have an impact of i'd like to have at least six million followers i'm currently at two and two i think ish mm -hmm. maybe a bit more i'd like to at least have six and, and be well known as being a money specialist because um, it's a subject I think needs more um, 
transparency, shall we say? Oh, totally. People have, people avoid it and don't like to talk about it. You know, depending yeah, on where and, they're and at, the, even the, in the financial yeah. system, you, you know, is opaque to say the least. So, yeah. I have a question regarding that. How much do you think it is the system or people's own fault? Because I know where I'm at on, on like self responsibility, but there's always the argument of you know the system is out to get you. But also, you're kind of playing in the system, aren't you? What are your what are your kind of thoughts on that? Um, okay, so because one of the books I've just finished is Money Matrix, mm-hmm. and you know I, I call out some things about the system, which I acknowledge I may do myself, mm-hmm. but I like to think I'd do them more ethically. But I don't think they serve humanity. I think they serve. Central banks, for example, their job is, right. you know, banks' job is not to ma- look after your money. It is no. to make profit. Yeah. Um, and modern monetary theory and monetary policy is just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, devaluing fiat currency yes. and just print more of it, which devalues it even more. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that debt spiral that we're in is unsustainable. And a lot of people call it a Ponzi scheme. Which is right. Why well, I, well, it basically is. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, the, the the later you make money, the less it's worth. Right. You know, if you imagine right. what a millionaire was worth 100 years ago versus a millionaire now. Um, so are you along the, the lines of business is speed and money is speed, getting it as fast as possible, as soon as possible. So before it can be inflated, before it can be devalued, you want to have people making it and having it right now? Yeah, yes, in part. Um, you know, money loves speed and hates friction, mm-hmm. but also there is something called get rich quick, which means if you try to make money too fast, you are open to schemes and scams. Yes. So it has to be as quick as possible because money is worth always more today than it is tomorrow. Right. So what I say to people is at the start, you exchange your time and energy and work for money. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you can, you invest in your money to get your money working for you yes and you get paid probably in fiat currency maybe a bit in crypto but probably in fiat and you immediately want to get it out of fiat which is Mm -hmm. a depreciating liability into an asset i buy watches i buy cars i buy real estate i buy i put money into the stock market and i'm immediately trying to at the very least protect it from inflation or devaluation and you know money as cash in the bank is the is devaluing even while interest rates are going up. It's still devaluing. Interest rates mm-hmm. are still lower than actual inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, these are some of the things I you know want to help people to understand. Right. Um, I don't see any reason why anyone would need a financial advisor. Surely you right. should know enough about money to manage your own money. Right. Right. You don't have is a that... financial advisor. Right. You shouldn't need a financial advisor. You should. Have take, some level of basic competency when it comes to your money. Yes. And that's your responsibility. That's not the banks or the governments or the education right. system's responsibility. It's not. Mm-hmm. They've got selfish motives. You've got selfish motives. So right, you have right. to take responsibility. So on this, on this instance, I don't... Like if, if the banks would sell me a money printing machine for 10 million quid that could have in my office and print money whenever I want, I'd buy it. I'd buy it for 20 <laughs> million. I'd buy it for 50 right. million. So... It's not the bank's responsibility to teach me how to manage my right. money. They just want to manage my money and make money out of my money. Yep, yep. 
So I'm going to learn how to manage my own money and make money out of their money. Yeah, and that's the best thing you can do. With, with that being said, what do you think is the most important feeling people get when they finally get enough money that money is no longer really an issue, you know, where it's no longer the only thing that's on their mind? What's kind of the greatest benefit people should really focus on feeling well, in, better? Feeling and benefit, probably two mm -hmm. different things. I think um, if you can get out of debt fairly quickly, then there's a great sense of relief. And if you can become financially independent, I found mm -hmm. a great sense of gratitude in that. Gratitude right. that I'm in a privileged position that most people aren't in because most people have to work for a living and I don't. I choose to. Um, but also gratitude in that I'm pleased with myself because right. I achieved this myself. I didn't win the lottery. I didn't inherit money. Mm -hmm. um, so a sense of self-worth is quite mm -hmm. linked to your net worth, especially if you've earned it yourself sense of gratitude, a sense of relief when you get out of um, debt, mm -hmm. um, a sense of um, independence. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't rely or need anyone right. and you're able to do what you want, where you want, when you want, with who you want, you know, that, you know, most, most adults should be independent, but they're not. And that's right. a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say, it's, it's something that I've grown to appreciate more and more because I've been mostly free since I've been really young. And recently, my, my grandma, she's, she has a heart problem. She has cancer. I can get up and go. I can go see her anytime. My brother just had twins two days ago. I can get to go see them anytime. And I think that's something that you learn to really appreciate is if something happens personally or your friends have a party you want to go to, anything, you can go and just not worry about the job, about anything else going on. Now, I'm also curious about, because I think in, I think throughout the world, and I also think throughout the United States, there is in some portion of the population a disdain for the rich, a disdain and a, almost like a hate for people who have accumulated wealth, even though, you know, the average person who's wealthy is like above 50 and they've worked their entire lives for it. I guess for people who are listening, what do you think is something that they can feel instead or a way they can look at this rich versus the poor issue differently? So it's not just all oh, these greedy, money-hungry people who are the worst. Like, like, give me some of your perspective on that. Yeah, so there is no rich versus poor in this world. It's not like a, a football league. Um, and I think, yes, there is a division, a dividing, an ever-increasing divide right. in class and wealth, which is a complicated subject. Um, what I would say is, understand what money is and isn't. And I, my most recent book I'm writing is called Money Loves You. Mm -hmm. And imagine if you drove down a really expensive road and you parked outside a really expensive house mm -hmm. and you thought about who is that person who can afford that house. And I would ask you as an individual now to think about what kind of person you would imagine could afford that expensive house and that expensive car. Now, mm -hmm. that person that you imagine is a figment of your imagination that you have constructed based on media upbringing, geography, parenting, yeah. and everything else, because you don't know who that person is. Mm -hmm. If you think they inherited it and they were lucky, well, you're probably wrong about that, but you, that would be your own biases and judgments. 
you know, I would think, well, they must be entrepreneurial and they must have done something useful and meaningful for society and they must employ right. a lot of people and pay a lot of taxes. Right. You know, and, and they must be like, I want to go and knock on the door and, and know what they know. But I never used to think like that when I was an entrepreneur. You think, oh, they're lucky. Mm -hmm. They got given it. They're, they're probably a drug dealer. Um, you know, <laughs> Ooh, sometimes they do make some pretty good money. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So everything that you judge about that human, about who they are and how they made that money is a figment of your imagination. And anything that is repelling you from that person, you need to examine why is that repelling you from mm -hmm. them? Um, because that person is no different to you. You could exhibit the traits and do what that person does. But mm -hmm. when you disown their traits and you, you, you go on a moral high ground of right. I am better because I didn't make millions by doing <laughs> this evil thing. <laughs> so what you do is money isn't moral, money isn't conscious, money doesn't judge. Mm -hmm. Money is a tool made by humanity. It's an effective tool. It's a lever. Mm -hmm. And so if you create value and understand how the flow of money works and it's neutrality and you have a neutral view of money, then you can start to own the parts that the millionaires have and disown right. the parts that the broke people have and start right. building wealth. But, you know, I don't see a rich person or a poor person as a better person. I right. see them as a different person. And a poor yeah. person might be really good at chess. They just didn't mm -hmm. know how to monetize it. Right. A rich person might be really good at sales or they might have created a great product. The rich person and the poor person are both good at things. It's just the rich person has figured out how to monetize it, create a business around it, and gone through the pain of building the business and paying the taxes and paying the staff. And so rather than looking up or down at people, looking up like, oh, I could never do that. That billionaire is amazing. Or looking mm -hmm. down like, oh, that millionaire must be a rich, greedy, evil capitalist bastard. <laughs> both of those projections mean that you disown the parts in that person that you have yourself. Right. And this is caused by society, upbringing, parents, media. Yep. Um, if you took everything I've got and put me in the middle of nowhere, I would know I can sell like a mark. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. I can create a good story. I can build a business. I can create a product. I believe in myself and my ability to do that mm -hmm. because I've transcended all the these, these limiting beliefs. Yep. And, and from my experience too, basically what it sounds like a, a part of what you're saying at least is that people seem to, wealth seems to accentuate the characteristics you already have. 
you know, through the, through the extremely, some of the people I know that are very wealthy, it just makes them more of what they are. So if they were a douche, they're just more of a, they're, they're a super rich douche or the, the, you know, they're more of what they already were. For example, with you, you are, if you were stuck in the middle of the desert with nothing, you'd still be Rob. You'd still be kind of a genuine kind person who still cares about other people. So it just makes you a little bit more of what you already are, which is maybe a reason why, for example, you and Sam had that fight. You're able to raise money for charity. Uh, by the way, are you recovering good? Are you back to eating normal? Um, yeah, I mean, I've put on two or three kilos, but I've kept off okay. some of the weight. I'm still training. Mm -hmm. I was ill still training. Week, other than nice. that, I'm still boxing three times a week. Nice. I'm training for my new challenge now. So, yeah, you know, I didn't want What's it to be. What's the new challenge? I'm doing a high rocks challenge, which is kind of nice. like an insane CrossFit challenge. Awesome. Um, I've got three months left of training, and I'm doing pretty good on that. I think it's important to challenge yourself and have accountability. You know, I fought in front of 1,800 people. We raised a quarter of a million pounds. I fought someone a lot bigger than me. So, you know, I trained hard for that. Yeah, no, and that's good. It, it's from what I've seen too. It seems like what you do in your health, what you do in your business, what you do in every part of your life, it's all related. It all correlates, and one of them rewards the other. So, because you're extremely fit, because you watch what you eat, you have more energy. You're able to work on your business more. You're able to do more because you accomplish that. You have more money, which you can use for reinvesting, and everything else is kind of affected in a very, very awesome way. Now. I want to go quickly back to the books, the, the two new books. One's coming out very, very soon, I hope. Um, do you cover a little bit of, of taxes? Do you cover crypto? Do you cover anything with AI? Can you give us more detail on what's in the books? What's kind of the main focus other than, of course, just getting more comfortable with money and realizing it's your tool versus uh, your enemy? Yeah, so the two books I'm writing at the moment or have written and I'm writing is Money Matrix and mm -hmm. Money Loves You. Um, they're going to take a little while to come out because they need to be edited and published. Mm -hmm. um, so your questions. Did I write much about tax? I wrote enough about tax mm -hmm. to get people to think about reducing tax. I, I talked about the sort of four or five main areas where we reduce our tax, buying yes. cars in an LLP, research and development, capital yes. allowances, etc., but, mm -hmm. of course, I didn't write percentages or rates because they change every six months. Yeah. So what I've done is I've an associated um, sort of written asset where I can update all, all the numbers and figures. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people get enraged when rich people avoid tax. Mm -hmm. um, but... Rich people took a risk to start a business and yes. generate a lot of tax revenue through VAT and employers, national insurance. Yeah. I mean, they'll be different in America, but they'll be the same but different. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, you know, a lot of people think rich don't pay taxes. It's only really the super rich that don't pay much percentage of tax. The right. rich and the small business owner and the middle class rich and the new rich, they pay loads of taxes. I pay millions a lot of, of taxes. Tax. Um, so, but the way I see it is if my government deployed tax well and invested the capital well, I'd happily pay. I wouldn't right. happily pay 70% of what I earn and what I spend, which is what it is at the moment. I'd pay a flat 20% happily, um, but they deploy it really badly. as a big hole in most of the services in the UK financially. 
um, think it's really bad. Terrible. Have you have you ever thought about getting into politics? No. No, no, too much no. of a mess. <laughs> no, no. Well, you're, you're influential and you have a great personality and you. Yeah, speak but then very surely. The, the, the problem with politics is you can't change anything. You it's think you can. Difficult. It's very difficult. What, what, te, te, name me a politician that's come in and really changed something in the last 10 years. Right. And, like, and, really changed something. Right. And you're right. And when you're out of power, who comes back in to. Yeah, and they go right because it's one of the most stressful jobs in the world. Right. Like, right. I could go in and bang the drum for for four years probably only about getting better financial education in schools but you know the governors and the head of the bank of england and even the people who puppet string them and they're never going to let me pass any useful laws mm -hmm. um, or change an outdated curriculum so mm -hmm. i might as well just be an entrepreneur not a politician be able to say and do what i, I want um, and start my own school system or my own education system. Like if I was right. a politician, I couldn't write Money Matrix. I'd be fired. <laughs> so you know, I, I want to change the world, but I actually think it's harder to change the world when you're a politician. Right. It's harder to do it almost through the system. It's better to do it just as yeah, an individual. In the yeah. UK, like it's different in America, but in the UK, I'd have to either be Labour or Conservative, and yeah. they're both shit. Yep. And I'd have to build up through the ranks locally and go and knock on doors. You know, I spent 17 years being an entrepreneur, building up a load of influence. I would just be, I wouldn't be throwing that all away. But also you can't run your business when you're a politician. And you don't right. get paid yeah. very well when you're a politician. No, you don't. Well, unless you're People don't fucking trust they politicians. Do. They don't trust them <laughs> for shit. I'll tell you what I would do, though, is if I was a very powerful politician, is afterwards I'd go and do the, the speaker circuit and, charge a million pound a speech. <laughs> uh, yeah. Many of them, many of them do that. Many make whole careers after being president, making a lot more money play. after being president. I'd, 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 I'd never, as long as someone wants to pay it and they're offering value, I don't begrudge them. Right, right, right. Yeah, and if someone's willing to pay it, I mean, yeah, no, politics is very, very complex. And yeah, I think at this point, the systems that have built up everything because, you know, United, I feel like, do you think the United States is worse off or where you're off is worse off? Um, well, in the UK, no one person can um, run for prime minister. Uh, whereas in America, it's easier for an individual a la Donald right. Trump. Um, and I think that therefore the American political system is better because mm -hmm. um, our current prime minister and our previous prime minister, there was no votes. It was chosen for by the incumbent party, and that's completely wrong. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to be Labour or Conservative, uh, and then if through the tenure one resigns, mm -hmm. they internally vote who the new one is. Right, which is... So we've had no choice in our last two prime ministers. Right, right, which is not by the people at all. No, there's no democracy. It does not no. exist. There no. is a monopoly. There is, there is no democracy here in the UK. Right, no. That being it's, said, it's, though, people like me, creators, influencers, entrepreneurs with a bit of a social media following, you know, we have a bit of a voice and a bit of power now. Mm -hmm. You know, I have more followers than virtually all politicians. Do you see it as your job to have a voice, to spread positivity, to 
you know, have messaging on money, have messaging on personal health, have messaging on all these different things? Yeah, I mean, look, my personal vision is to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. My foundation helps young and underprivileged people start their businesses and um, get, you know, make money. So anything that, that I can do to educate people so that they can have better financial tools and resources, you know, is fulfilling my mission. Right, um, right. And generally going through the school system is the opposite of that. Yeah. And generally the, the media and PR around rich people is the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. You know, in the UK, we're very reserved about talking about money and, mm -hmm. you know, you're deemed as greedy and evil if you even mention money. And I want to mm -hmm. change that. It's not a taboo. It's not a faux pas. There's nothing wrong with talking about money. Money is one of our most important tools. It's an amazing tool, probably as good as the wheel in terms of yeah. the leverageability of a human invention. It's right up there with penicillin and any mm -hmm. other amazing tool for leverage that we've created. Mm -hmm. um, and yet no one knows how to use it properly. Well, most people, the rich people do. Most, uh, it people seems like most people, yeah, don't know how to use it in their personal lives, let alone managing taxes, let alone how to invest it, let alone any of these different things. And with your investment, does the two books that you're working on, do they go into investing as well? Because you mentioned taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in Money Matrix, the raises the problem of the monetary system, the banks, the media, the corporations and the governments. Um, and then it talks about what I think are um, fundamentally opaque ulterior motives, I would say, if I'm being kind, scams, I would say, if I'm not being kind. Um, and then once I've done that, I give solutions, strategies and tactics to help awesome. people play the banks at its own game. I play the banks at its own game. Whenever the banks print more money to reduce its own debt, it also reduces my own debt because I have tens of millions of pounds worth of mortgages. Right. I, I had three million paid off one year, three and just, just under three mm -hmm. million paid off the next year when inflation was double digits in the UK. So mm -hmm. I did all right out of them printing and devaluing money because I learned how to play the system. Right. I, I do not leave my money in fiat currency. I didn't have much money that went down in value. 35% like everyone did over three mm -hmm. years because I didn't leave any of it in fiat currency. It was in yeah. gold, in watches, in cars, in property, in art, in anything else but fiat currency. Yeah. I think the biggest issue is so many people it is such short-term thinking. That's one of the most important skills. I think there's a lot of important skills that entrepreneurs and people develop. One of them, I think, number one is uh, communication. Communication to me, how you negotiate, how you talk with others, your spouse, your kids making deals in business, communication is number one. But number two, I think, is long-term thinking versus the short-term. Can you kind of go into your mindset over that and why that's important for money, why it's important of all parts of life? Because from my experience, it is the difference between even making an investment in the first place because people think it's useless because, well, I have to wait five years, 10 years, 20 years, but they don't realize the full-term potential of what that will make. So can you kind of go into that some? Yeah, long time horizon is one of the traits of the rich and short time horizon is one of the traits of the poor. And there's various reasons. One of them is the law of compounding. And the law of compounding is essentially um, money making more of itself yeah. or the direction of momentum continuing at an equal or greater speed. 
So mm -hmm. there are some universal laws, which I think if you understand them and obey them and link them to money, you're going to make more money. Now, the problem in society is we've created human laws and human laws are breakable, biased, mm -hmm. um, whereas natural laws are unbreakable and unbiased. Right. So if you think of um, the law of inertia, which was, is Newton's first law. A body in motion tends to stay in motion and a body at rest tends to stay at rest, which means when you start something, it's hard, it's heavy, it's got friction. Mm -hmm. When you've been doing something for a long time, you've got a lot of momentum, a lot of velocity, a lot of speed. Yep. Um, it takes time to build up the momentum and velocity and speed. Just let me think about a rocket taking off. Right. So if you start and stop and start and stop and start and stop, you never increase the speed and reduce the friction whether it's in mm -hmm. investing or compounding or saving or building a business. So long-term horizon allows you to increase the speed, reduce the friction, get um, compounding, which is money making more of itself. Yeah. Um, and it also long-term horizons. In, to have a long-term horizon means you have to have discipline, and emotional mm -hmm. regulation and management in the short term. And those that don't have discipline or emotional regulation, they will drink yep. their money away. Yep. They will sniff their money away. They will gamble their money away. They will spend their money away. They will give their money away. They will squander their money away. Um, whereas people who can control their emotions can manage their money. They get mm -hmm. a little bit of money. They invest it in the S&P 500 instead of um, yep. Buying depreciating liabilities, for example. So, um, yeah, th these are some of the, the laws around money. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, look, money changes form. But for me, one of the laws of money is if you want to make money, and it's back to your initial question, mm -hmm. you need to get it out of depreciating liabilities. Yep. Well, ideally, you never put it in depreciating liabilities in the, in first, the first place. place. Right. But, but fiat currency that you get paid in is a depreciating liability. Because it goes down in value. So you, you, you might earn it in a depreciating liability. Hopefully, it's only going down a few percent a year. So you've got time. Because mm -hmm. um, normally, inflation is 2 or 3%. Um, and then quickly, before it's gone down in value, you get it into an appreciating asset. Yes. Property, stocks, business. You know, I, I like watches. I like cars. You mm -hmm. know, no, no, my cars go up but most of them don't really go down. And I buy them in an LLP and I get the tax write-offs anyway. Mm -hmm. See, I bought, a, I bought a, my, the first car I bought in my LLP was a Lamborghini Aventador. And Those that was three, 300 and something thousand pounds new. I paid mm -hmm. 255 for that, so $300,000. Now, if I'd have paid that after tax, that would have cost me 600 gross to pay 300 net. Yeah. But because I bought it in the company, I paid it after tax, it cost me 300 net. It's yep. fucking twice as much. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and with that being said, too, I am curious about which of your purchases, either watches or cars, which one do you like more? And of the two, which one do you have like a, a special watch that you just love, that you're proud of, that's the best? Okay, so I probably shouldn't say this, um, but I do keep it secure. But I have a <laughs> Richard Miel RM72. And nice that the new that's currently two hundred and fifty-five thousand. It's um, it's a bit smaller than the old RM11 that I had, um, 
and even it's probably more a favorite of mine of all my APs and Pateks. Mm -hmm. So Richard Mille RM72 is probably my favorite watch. Um, Do you wear it often? Not really. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to wear a quarter of a million pound watch yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and, and also the insurance on something like that is thousands. Um, and they, they like, they don't give you much wriggle room. You can't just leave it in your house. Right. So, um, yeah. And then I think about watches or cars and then I think, well, why can't I have both? Uh, you know, you only live once. Mm -hmm. Some, if you're not interested in watches, don't buy watches. Or buy Rolex Daytona Steel and store them in a safe and just right. use them as an asset class. All mm -hmm. I've really done, I love watches and I love cars, and I've learned how to minimize depreciation and be able to buy what I want. Right. And so, you know, if you like handbags, buy some nice Chanel or Hermes that doesn't mm -hmm. go down in value and buy it secondhand if secondhand right. is cheaper than new, because sometimes you get premium on them. Yeah. Um, if you like clothes, buy some nice designer clothes, but buy them vintage or buy them in the sales. Mm -hmm. I love Alexander McQueen and I buy it through the company and I also try and buy mm -hmm. them when they have their yearly sale. Um, buying them through the company uh, is something I figured out how to do. Nice. Get your own tax advice, by the way. And that saves me half. And then mm -hmm. if I can get the 40% off, that saves me nearly half again. For cars, do you like old school or do you like new school? I like both. So I have oh, a yeah. Ferrari Testarossa. I have a 1980, 1989 Porsche 911 Turbo. Nice. I also have a um, new model Aston Martin DBS. I have the Aventador. I just bought the new RS Q8, which is basically the Lamborghini Urus. But, you, um, you and Andrew Tate should be hanging out more often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talk quite a lot and... That's he good. messaged me when I got the Aston and he was like, he just went, DBS, animal. <laughs> um, yeah, he loves them. I've got an Aerial Atom, which is a street legal race car. Mm -hmm. um, we, Mark, my business partner and I are looking into a new 911 Turbo S. We just want the, the secondhand premiums to come down a bit. Right. Look, you know, cars aren't everything to everyone. Fine, don't buy a car or buy a Tesla or whatever. But be honest with yourself as well. You know, people say, oh, I'm not interested in cars. Look at that guy bragging about the seven cars he's got. Yeah, but do you want a shit one or a nice one? Um, even right. if you're not interested in cars, maybe you want a nice luxury, uh, you, you know, a, a luxurious saloon car, family right. car, or a nice big four by four. I think it's good for people to find something they're passionate about and try to make that an appreciating asset of some kind. For yes. example, like my, my buddy loves comic books. He has thousands a lot of them and I bet he's made money out of, of buying good secondhand ones. Yeah, good comic ones. If you get them at the right price for the person who just yeah. doesn't want them, you can make great money from them. And that's with anything. I mean, you can go to books, you can go to comic books, you can go to clothes. There's all types of things. I think that people, because there's so many distractions, so much going on in the world, they're not like as creative as maybe less creative than they once were. So they're not yeah. thinking about, well, I have this passion. I love clothes. I love watches. You name it. Why don't I? get serious about this collection. I enjoy it, but also make some money off it as well. Make it into a side hustle, passion, something, yeah. you know? Or at the very least, minimize the depreciation. So right. as I've got more wealthy, I buy less things. I just mm -hmm. am more selective and buy more expensive, less things. So I actually right. buy less clothes and, and, you know, less things than when I was broke. Mm -hmm. It's just now I, like, I buy McQueen on top, Armani on the bottom, 
<laughs> Christian Laboutin on the feet. <laughs> I go IWC big pilots or Patek or AP or, mm-hmm. or Rolex or Richard Mille on the watches. Mm-hmm. I buy, you know, Lamborghini, Porsche, Ferrari. I, like, I don't buy many things, but I buy the things I like and I learn about them. My sunglasses, right. I have a few pairs. I only buy the Cartier um, sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can pick these up used and all right, they're a thousand quid new, but you pick them up used to 600 quid and you can have them for three years and sell them for 500 quid. Right, and they're good. Right. They're actually really good instead of just buying cheap shit which right. from Primark, which every three months you've got to replace. Yep, yep, there's a big difference. Now, out of, I know you, you love your cars, you love your watches. Um, well, I have two questions in mind. One, of your businesses, which one are you the most passionate about? Which one are you the most proud of? And which one do you enjoy doing the most? Because from what I know, you have your training, you have your real estate, you have the podcast, you have two podcasts, you're writing the books, you have a lot going on. What, like, do you not do the most, but what draws your attention and you're like your soul to it? Yeah, I think probably either the podcast or the educational content. Yeah. Because I meet really amazing people and I'm able to change people's lives in the most direct way. Look, I've got 1,350 tenants and I feel grateful for that. But I can impact 13.5 million people potentially with education. I can't impact 13.5 million tenants. There's only two and a half million of them in the UK. Mm-hmm. So, look, I love my portfolio and it makes, makes me a lot of money. Um, one of them makes me 120,000 gross a month. Um, and, and, you know, it makes more than half that net. Um, but, you know, what I like to do with my time is the content, the education, the podcast, mm-hmm. the social media, yeah. Is there, uh, out of the people you've, and you've interviewed, another compliment as well, some amazing people, a variety of boxing. It seems like you really like boxing as well, I've noticed, because you've gone through with quite a few different boxers, and you did it yourself. Which, is there any that have been less glorious, I guess you could say, or less of a, oh my God, it's, you know, Mayweather, oh my God, it's your name. Have any of them been like that, where you're just like, this is not what I expected? Um less glorious and not what I expected are probably a bit different. Okay. Um, so less glorious, I would say was Mark Ormrod, who's a, a triple amputee mm-hmm. and um, Craig, what's his surname? Craig Harrison, who has the world record for the longest snipe kill. To me, both of those would, were emotional and jaw droppingly humbling Mm-hmm. interviews so they were ones that it wasn't Floyd Mayweather or Game right. of Thrones actresses or Andrew Tate or Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson you know they were just more ordinary people mm-hmm. um, and you'd have to listen to them to to know why um, but right. basically how extreme their lives have been gives you a great sense of context um, right. that you should be grateful for your own life in terms of unexpected, it was um, Chris Eubank. That's why Famous I keep hearing boxer. Chris Eubank was... Yeah, because he was just fucking weird <laughs> and combative and weird. And and I listened to your um, interview, I forgot, with the man we mentioned earlier. With Chris Eubank and other people, do you often, I'm curious, do you think most of the time they're like their transparent real selves? Or is it more facade? Like, for example, with Andrew Tate, while he gets hate, he gets a lot of love. Andrew Tate, I actually see most, almost all the time, he's not really a character. He's very genuine, very honest, 
vary himself, it seems like. Do you see that across the board or is it, is it 50-50? What's your experience with like them being who they actually are in camera versus off? Most of my guests, I would say, are pretty authentic. I probably authentic. wouldn't choose them if they weren't. Right. Um, Chris Eubank, I, I don't know. It was a combination <laughs> of being bashed in the head for 20 years, um, probably not very well in other areas, and maybe stoned. Mm -hmm. um, and he's an, an eccentric personality anyway. Right. So you add those four things together, uh, you know, uh, like it's no, it shouldn't really have been a surprise that it was mm -hmm. weird. Um, yeah, uh, virtually, none, virtually none of my guests are like, oh, edit that out, edit that out, edit that out. I don't like right, that. I don't want right. that. We get it occasionally, and that doesn't quite feel mm -hmm. genuine. I, I mean, Andrew Tate, I, I felt, was very comfortable and authentic mm -hmm. in himself. One thing I will say is, just before the cameras went on, he definitely raised his energy. And oh, it was right, like, get ready. It was like a switch. <laughs> ah, rah. Um, really? So he knew how to turn it on. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. I, you know, you, you're there to put on a show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what's your guess to, or not actually, what's your guess from what's to come or who hasn't been on yet? Is there anyone you haven't had on that you've been like, if I had this person on, it would be my, I, I want them on, but you haven't been able to, or maybe they're still yet to come? For, for potential guests. Oh, I mean, there's loads. There's loads? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Who's... Donald Trump, Bill yeah. Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, Oprah Winfrey, Meghan Markle. You fucking name it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's loads. Obviously, anyone who's very successful, I'm allured to. Right. Anyone who's very topical and of the moment or wildly viral... Um, and we've, you know, we're, we're chasing down some good leads of some very good guests. Yeah. Um, and we'll just continue that pursuit. Yeah, I, I'm sure making those happen can be difficult. And there's a few people to go through and it's a pro process for sure. Yeah. Often the harder they are to bag, mm -hmm. you know, the better they are as a guest. Often, not mm -hmm. always. Right. Um, you know, you... you dealing with them or their management is um, some are great to deal with, some are a nightmare to deal with, and some are anywhere right. in between. Yeah. Some people are just so successful right now, you just can't pin them down. Right. Fair enough. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, nice. As well, um, I have another question on, with all the businesses you have going on, with the books, with, um, you're busy with family, you're busy with the podcast, how do you find time and how do you organize what you're doing so you don't get overwhelmed? Because like I said, you're very, you're a straight shooter, you're authentic. You don't seem very easily discombobulated or irritated. You're very stable, it seems like, like very, very much so. What keeps you grounded? What keeps you being able to run all this and not go crazy? Okay. Um, so... I choose where I work and when I work. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that I love to work. Nice. But that's not an accident. So mm -hmm. I mostly work from home. I'm mostly around my family and I'm nice. very grateful for that. And, you know, I could have a, a good high paying job, but I have to commute to London and see my kids very right. rarely. So 
that's a strategic thing that I've chosen. I can work mm-hmm. from anywhere in the world as long as I've got my phone, which is never more than nine inches from me. Right. Or, wait a minute, that's more like <laughs> Or my laptop. Um, mm-hmm. And that's strategically designed that way. Uh, in, so I think I've got pretty good balance. I can train anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I was When I was boxing and having to travel, I was training in hotel rooms doing circuits in hotel rooms. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we make excuses often. Just make sure that, you know, you've got two or three square meters of space, you can do exercise. Right. And you've got a phone or a laptop, you can do work. Now, staying level and grounded. Yeah, I definitely am more level and and grounded and balanced and in control of my emotions, most of them. more so than when I was in my mid-20s. And part of that might be age. Right. You know, because that's 20 years ago now, and you'd like to think you can master yourself as you get older. Part mm-hmm. of that is the is significant investment in myself. Right. You know, I'd have to be an idiot not to make some personal improvements with how much money I've spent on myself, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of therapists and education and mentors and, uh, and networking. Um, and then also just a sense of life. Like... Mm-hmm. Being alive is amazing. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, having a relative amount of control and Mm -hmm. money and success in your own life is amazing. And being able Mm -hmm. to self-make yourself and become something out of nothing. Right. And so what what gives me the right to expect all the upside with none of the downside? It's Mm -hmm. the downside that creates the upside and it's the challenge that creates the the solution and the opportunity. So, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe I now know I, I believe in myself. You mm-hmm. throw me any challenge, I believe in myself. So maybe it's a combination of, of those things. Mm-hmm. But every now and again, someone says or does something and it does piss me off a bit. Um, <laughs> you still have some boisterousness in there. when you Yeah, and I don't want to lose that. Like I, I right. was interviewed before you and some guy said, Oh, how'd you feel when you lost to Samuel Leeds in the boxing match? I'm like, well, not well. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I raised a quarter of a million pounds for charity. I thought right. it was 20 kilos heavier. It was right. a split decision. I, was, I threw a lot more punches. I was technically the, the much better boxer. I was the people's... You did throw a lot more punches. Yeah, I was the people's yeah, I saw that. champion. I got so much more fit. Where's the defeat there? Right, right. How many fights have you had, motherfucker? <laughs> anyway, I <laughs> tried to control it, but, you know, it's, a, it's just a question on a podcast. I'm not pissed off about it now. But the point is, um, you know, some, it's good to be pissed off about some things. If, if I went good. into that fight underprepared and, mm-hmm. and I took a hammering, I should be pissed off with myself. Right, um, right. And often, you know, anger and being pissed off is a good fuel to change a situation if you're not happy with your situation. I, I think so. I, I think... Too many people are actually too passive, too passive in how they navigate life on a regular basis. And getting pissed off is a good thing entirely because because it brings well, it about depends. Like, it depends. Yeah. Don't don't get pissed off if someone like I always let people out in traffic. If someone undercuts me, right after you, sir, after you, madam, I'm not going to get pissed off about that because all this, I'm in a fucking mm-hmm. steel metal carbon cage. If right. I get pissed off. I'm going, I'm pissed off. Me being pissed off doesn't solve the problem. So there's right. so many small, trivial, menial things in life. Yep. You should stop getting pissed off about them. But the meaningful the, things, the yes. big things, 
Those are where you choose. need to change. If if you if you're fat as fuck, you should be pissed off. Yep. Um, if you're broke, you should be pissed off. Pissed but off. not with the world, with yourself. Yeah. And then change it. That's perfect. By the way, I have been fat as fuck, and I know you have to be careful what you say nowadays. And by the way, I I always support, if I see a fat person in the gym, you'll never hear me criticizing them. Hats off. Fair play. If I see someone broke trying to start a business, you'll never see me criticizing them. Hats off. Fair play. At you're, least you're, they're trying. You're at least trying. You're at least doing something to progress your life in some way or another. Even if you fail miserably at it, you're still doing something, which is a lot more than the vast majority of people out there who are too scared to even get the start in the first place. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely excellent, my friend. It's always a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on. Where, where yes. are you going to be? Um, where's this going to be going out to the world? Um, this will be going out to a lot of entrepreneurs, affiliate marketers as well. Um, I guess do you have a last last message on when they can maybe expect your book or anything you want to direct well, them through? For now, I'd probably go and get my book Money because it's actually out until awesome. Money Loves You and Money Matrix come out. And also yes. my podcast disruptors. You know, we've we've mentioned that a couple of times. We must be nearly a thousand episodes in now. We interview movers, shakers, game changers, and change makers. Thank you so much. Make sure you go visit those places, and I appreciate you again. Very nice to be able to speak to you live. Cheers, John.